failure absolutely necessary? Is it optimal? The word optimal has been thrown out so much lately. I like to minimize fatigue by, like I mentioned, staying in that hypertrophy range with the least fatigue rather than, than heavy fives, heavy fives, heavy fives. I used to think a pump is okay, now I just have to sit in a certain rep range, but most bodybuilders I've talked to, it's still close, if not to failure, it's just not as taxing as the first movement. Remember we said the lengthened quad position can actually give you more hypertrophy in the end ranges. All right, guys, uh, another episode of Anabolic Activities here, and I'm with the legend, I am honored Stan Efforting, the strongest bodybuilder in the world. So here we are. Your favorite fake natty yep. right here. Oh yeah. So yeah, let's get right into it. First topic, actually I wanna tell a story first. Do it. I met Stan at Super Training. I've been at Super Training since I was 19, working in the warehouse. And I remember I was super nervous, just like I am now, to come up to him. And he was talking to Mark and I asked you like, I was going into my first prep and I asked you like just two things, a couple things I could take. I think I was trying to grow my quads and then just, I was just really trying to grow and you unzipped your little roller bag that you brought at the time and you just told me I don't miss, I haven't missed a meal in I don't know how long. And yeah. then from there I just started eating a bunch of food and I never missed a meal from that point on. And you told me, I think it, Flex Wheeler, right? That's who you worked with. You told me on leg press, every type of squat, I think preferably leg press though, you told me put my feet as low as possible and close together. And I have grown my quads a lot since that point. So yeah. I just want to thank you. Yeah. So, Two important points. I, I think one, calories are king. All you do in the gym is break down muscle tissue. And I used to have just the opposite. I used to come in here and train six days a week, two hours a day, doing every exercise in Arnold Schwarzenegger's Encyclopedia Bodybuilding. And then I would eat what the guy behind the counter at Gold's Gym was eating, and usually those people were preparing for a bodybuilding show, so it was tuna fish and rice cakes. That's not a plan to get big. Yeah. And so once I flipped the script on that, I actually started training every other day, and eating a lot more is when I really started to grow, was after that. But I never had much growth in my legs in my early years, because I thought that you, the stronger you got, the bigger you got. And I didn't pay attention to which muscles were moving the weight, uh, or, um, whether or not uh, I was using uh, enough range of motion. Right. And so I was, I, I mean, when I was still a pretty skinny kid, I, I don't think I was more than 180 pounds, I could squat 500. I, I'm going to say squat 500. But it's one of those things where you kind of stick your ass out a little and hardly yeah. bend your knees. And, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. and uh, that didn't translate to much leg growth. And what Flex taught me, which is what's commonly known now, I mean, uh, I think uh, Mike Israel's group with Team Rom is, has talked that. about it ad nauseum, but this is what the way Flex trained me in 2009 was to look at the, look at the knee angle. When you can get that to you know, 120 degrees rather than 90, uh, you're going to see a longer uh, quad uh, length and position of the quad, and you're going to get more growth. And so that's... Uh, uh, and then to isolate that, when I, I talk about bringing your feet in and down, then uh, you're using less glutes and more quads. And as a power lifter, when I was squatting heavy, I focused on glutes, hips, spinal erectors, right. you know, collectively to lift a ton of weight. Yeah, and, it, and I didn't get, you know, I had a 90 degree shin angle, and so at best, and so I didn't get a lot of quad growth from that. And so Flex wouldn't actually let me squat for at least six to nine months before I competed in my, in, uh, when I won my pro card. 
uh, he had me get off of the exercise. And this might not be the same for everyone. You know, you take three guys and you put them under the squat. And one might get huge glutes, one might get huge quads. Uh, you know, it's different for individuals. Same with chest. Some right. guy might get huge front delts. Another guy might get massive pecs. You know, and you, you don't know, uh, you know, who's good. And another guy might get big triceps. Right. right. From the same exercise. Because everybody's a little different. And so you got to kind of figure out what you respond to. And, uh, and then the, the lagging parts, you've got to find an exercise that exploits that without letting you help with your strengths. Right. So that's uh, kind of a real important thing that, that I learned. I wish I knew then what I know now. Because yeah. I, I may have earlier in my career been more successful. I learned that you know, in my late 30s as right. opposed to my early 20s like you have. Right, right. Yeah, that brings me a couple questions into my brain because I'm like, I ask Mark all the time, all the guests that come in, like, your opinion on all the different types of training as far as hypertrophy because you got Mike Isertel who's the full ROM, like, like, basically, I'm pretty sure that set ends when you can't do a perfect rep in full range of motion or like RIR, stuff like that, like reps in reserve. And then you got like people doing the low volume, high intensity, like Dorian Yates, who just go couple sets to absolute failure till you can't move anymore. So like, and then people like, I don't know, like in the nineties, I think it was the nineties, like Chris Cormier, Fleck, I think it was Flex Wheeler, all those, they kind of train like, I mean, they've talked about it too, kind of like pump, kind of like get a pump type of deal. So I'm like, which one, like, like what is your opinion on any of that? Is wow. failure absolutely necessary? Is it the best, is it optimal? Like what is, I don't even know. The word optimal has been thrown out so much lately. It is, and there is, it isn't any one thing. I always say that, uh, you know, one of the things to remember is that, that everything works, nothing works forever. And you've got to kind of find, based on feel, feel which exercises, uh, you know, you always ask a client, where do you feel that? And maybe you got to get them on a different exercise in order, so, so that they can feel it where you want them to feel it. Generally speaking, we have pretty good information now from the research, uh, Brad Schoenfeld's book, Hypertrophy is an extraordinary resource, and it's a, a pretty easy read because he summarizes everything, and uh, he puts it together kind of in a chart. Uh, and, and we know that, that longer ranges of motion uh, lead to more hypertrophy. It's measurable, uh, especially in the end range. So obviously your insertions are your insertions. That's your genetics. Right. You know, back when I was coming up, there was Paul DeMeo, Quadzilla. Oh, we used yeah. to call him three knees. Oh, yeah. And he'd have those, you know, these big, he had a knee and he had two more knees right yeah. here. Yeah. Where your insertions are. Flex Wheeler has high insertions like I do in his lateralis. And so right. uh, he yeah. had to build a lot of... Uh, adductor in order to show a sweep uh, whereas other guys uh, uh, Dennis Dennis Wolf Dennis had this Wolf. enormous lateralis yeah. sweep yeah. so a lot of that's genetics and you got to kind of focus on you know the areas that that uh, you know for bodybuilding the areas that you need the most improvement on uh, but we know the full range of motions uh, optimal um, we also know that uh, in terms of intensity, the whole RIR, and a new, new study just came out that suggests the more experienced lifter you are, the closer you need to get to failure. Uh, and that's, that can be hard to do on an exercise like squats. Right. Because yeah. the skill component, the balance component, uh, the, um, the fatigue component, you know, just, you're just breathing, you, you, you oxygen debt or lactate 
you know, becomes the limiting factor, hydrogen ion buildup, whatever, you know, lactate clearance. Those things become a limiting factor maybe before quads yeah, uh, right. are the failure. So it's really hard to, to, to take a, a squat rep to total failure without dramatically affecting your cardiovascular system, uh, which is another component, just your, your ability to, um, uh, to have uh, enough conditioning to, to do enough work to grow. And some people just think about the lifting component, but even in powerlifting, like with Louis Simmons at Westside Barbell, he had a lot of pe he had people do a lot of sled drags and stuff. He had to build up their, their general, uh, uh, we call it GPP, general yeah. physical preparedness, yeah, yeah. so that they could invest enough energy into a set to fatigue the muscles before their oxygen debt became a limiting factor, as mentioned. Uh, so to try and circle back, um, you definitely want to uh, do a variety of different rep ranges. Um, everything is intensity based. You want to get right. to within, I, I'm going to say a rep of failure. Okay. Um, I mentioned that, that a squat, for instance, might not be the best um, long term, the best way to, um, to separate fatigue and balance and all those things from the quad, which is kind of why I like the leg press. There's no coordination involved. Right. Um, generally speaking, you can completely exhaust your quads without uh, you know, tiring yourself out such that oxygen debt's the limiting factor. Uh, hack squats the same way. Um, you know, leg extension, same way. Um, and then there's multiple different rep ranges because you've got different, you've got slow twitch and then two fast twitch types. Um, and so there's multiple different rep ranges. What's generally recommended is that you do the bulk of your work in that, I hate to call it a hypertrophy range, because any, anywhere between 5 and 30 reps, if right. you're within a rep of failure, is a hypertrophy result, an equivocal hypertrophy result. But you tend to get less fatigue in that 8 to 12 rep range. The heavy 5s, joints might start to get tired after a while. Right. The 25s, your cardiovascular kind of becomes a limiting factor. So. The bros were right, is what Brad Schoenfeld ultimately tells us uh, from way back as far as the 70s, 80s, 90s. Uh, that's kind of been the, the hypertrophy range, the 8 to 15 or, or 8 to 12, right in there. Uh, having said that, you do the bulk of your sets there, uh, but you want to touch, you know, a heavy 5 here and there. You want to touch a 20 here and there. Maybe if, you, uh, and in terms of frequency, you like to do everything twice a week. Uh, with at least 48, possibly 72 hours in between uh, that particular body part. Uh, so if you're training everything twice a week and you're getting, uh, I know you mentioned high intensity, Dorian Yates pouring himself into two sets. Uh, once you get north of six sets for most people, and there's, there's a, a lot of individual variability as far as what people can recover from and what, they can, what their minimum effective volume is and what their maximum recoverable volume is. There's some individual variability. But we see mostly across... Uh, studies is that once you get north of say six sets there's a significant uh, what we call diminishing returns right yeah uh, for the amount of energy that you invest are you getting that much more growth and does that then create uh, more fatigue and DOMS such that it delays your ability to come back and, and do another bout sooner you know all those things have a, an impact on that so it, it is a lot to consider um, I have a chart that uh, actually was created by uh, Brett Contreras, PhD, Exercise Phys, uh, that goes through frequency, volume, load, 
uh, rest periods. We, we want to kind of for larger body parts, at least two to three minutes between sets. Smaller body parts probably get away with 90 seconds because you want each subsequent set to have nearly the same number of repetitions as your first set. If you right. bench two and a quarter for 10, uh, if you only rest 30 seconds, your second set might only be two and a quarter for six. Not a, not a, a good stimulus uh, right. or program long term. You want to give yeah. it sufficient rest so the next set is almost 10. Uh, and then over time, progression seems to be uh, a huge component of advancing. Uh, either add five pounds or one rep, uh, or eventually one more set uh, okay. to an exercise. Um, so all of those things, uh, I don't know if that was the most succinct and, and, and methodical way to, to describe all those things, but all, it all matters. That, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Like, so there's not one, if you were to program me, there's not one like style you would push me towards more. I know maybe like a full range of motion, like you talked about controlling, yep. like, like having good technique, maybe adding, progressing each week, progressive overload, basic stuff like that. And just yep. like, cause Train I try body part twice a week. Right. Right. Uh, I like to minimize fatigue by, uh, maybe staying away from, like I mentioned, staying in that hypertrophy range with the least fatigue yeah. rather than, than heavy fives, heavy fives, heavy fives. Even Dorian, he got really, really strong. Uh, he would still do sets of 12, you know, you see yeah. him on those, uh, those hack squats. Mm -hmm. He was kind of in that same range. Yeah. And you mentioned something else that's important. Um, and, and, well, Flex Wheeler and before him, they do... Uh, They'll do some work that's like just balls to the wall all out. I think John Meadows talked about this once. He said he, he would do a, a warm-up that was a mind-muscle connection. This is very similar to the way that Flex trained me in 2009. We'd start with single leg-leg extensions. Mm -hmm. And we'd get some blood in there, and we'd do it kind of slow, and we'd get that mind-muscle connection. Then we'd go over to the leg press. And that would, we, I think John Meadows referred to that as his blast sets. And he would yeah. dump himself into maybe three sets on the leg press. And those would be intense and heavy and as many reps as he could get, and potentially even a drop set on the third set uh, with significant enough rest so he could replicate that effort without having a, uh, you know, a decline in performance. Uh, and that's what we did. We'd go on a leg press and we would just balls the wall. Yeah. Uh, then we would find an exercise that was more for volumizing, our third exercise. And whether that was a hack squat, uh, and the, kind of the reason we like the leg press is the hack squat the heavier the weight goes and sits on your shoulders and, 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 and yeah. caves in on your, your lungs, right. it starts to be hard to breathe after a while. And I don't yeah. want that to be a limiting factor. On leg right, press, right, you're right. free. I mean, you, you can get all the wind you want. You can lift, you know, as long as you're, as you're focused on getting that, that 120 degrees of angle out of here. And, you know, leg press has always been kind of one of my favorites for, for volumizing quads. It minimizes all the other potential um, interference factors. Uh, and so we would do the, either a hack squat or a one-legged step up or a lunge. Mm -hmm. Very commonly finished with a unilateral movement. Yeah. Uh, one of the big favorites for people now is, um, is a, a Bulgarian squit, squit, split yeah. squat. Uh, Flex had us do a ton of lunges. And on the lunge, even then, you, you can do a lunge with a 90 degree uh, angle at the knee that's pretty uh, ass loaded. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or you can get forward on that, get that knee way out over toe, depending on your ankle flexibility. Uh, usually by the time you get to lunges for volumizing, you get pretty decent range of motion uh, and you can, you can get some benefits. The only challenge I have with lunging is it's, it's almost like cluster sets. It's one rep, one leg, then the other leg. It's just like rest pauses, I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah. It's like rest pauses. And I kind of like constant tension, particularly for a, 
a volumizing exercise. Right. I mean, they get pretty blown out to where you can hardly take another step. Yeah. yeah. But uh, the Bulgarian split squat, you repeat the same leg over and over and over again. And so, yeah. you know, that uh, unfortunately, that takes a pretty big oxygen load out of you. And now you got to do the other leg. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> so I you might you that. might pick your smaller leg. Generally speaking, you've got one body part that's that's a little lagging behind the other body part. Yeah. Do that one first. Okay. Prioritize right, that. Right, right. Uh, and that could be true between the, the legs or it could be true. Say if you've got really, you have really strong shoulders, probably not something you need to do first in a workout. Probably not something you need to train twice a week. Okay. When you're focusing on uh, a weak body part, let's look at, at the whole, all the fatigue goes into one bucket. You have limited physical capital right. to invest. And if you're going to dump a ton of extra time and energy and sets and reps and frequency into, say, hamstring development or quad development, a big part, quads, chest, back, then maybe something else, you, you, you tone, you bring it down in terms right. of its frequency, volume, and load. Okay. And so that you can recover, you know, put more energy into that and recover <laughs> from that. Yeah. Um, it's not the way I did it. And, you know, of course, we would train everything as hard as we could every day. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, some things would grow really well and other things would lag behind. And uh, if, uh, if I were smarter, I'd have focused more. And then we enjoy training the things that we're really good at. Right. And yeah. the things we can see in the mirror. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we kind of avoid the things we're bad at. Yep. And uh, Louis Simmons in powerlifting always did just the opposite. He would find where you were weak and then he would make you live there. Right. Until that yeah. became a strength. Yeah, that's what, uh, talking to Matt Wenning last week, he, he's big on that too. And just even what you said, kind of sprinkling in everything, like everything, you can, you, you can utilize every style that we just went over. Because I've tried the, you know, Dorian Yates style training. Uh, I still don't think I did it correct because yeah. I just, I just wasn't, I felt so fatigued. Like my CNS, everything, it was like, yeah. I felt like I was powerlifting all over again, but yeah. worse. I'm just like, my body hurts, everything hurts. And then... I just felt like I wasn't making progress. Um, but like John Meadows, who you brought up, I'm a big fan of him. Um, he talked about, I know Fuad Abiyad, I'm not sure if I said his name right, but he was talking about John programmed him like two or two or three like super hard days yeah. and followed it with like pump days yeah. or like a super hard week and then followed it with like a pump week, which nothing was taken to absolute failure. Yeah. Just kind of push blood in there. So I'm like, the more people I talk to, the more I'm like, all right, there's not one set way to really do anything. Yeah. Just kind of what works. Well, a couple of things on that note, uh, kind of the way Louis Simmons trained powerlifters, he would have a, you know, a, a max effort day and, and then he would yeah. have a speed day. And so yeah. you know, more fatigue, less fatigue. Uh, when I said that you want to work in all rep ranges, maybe if you train legs twice that week, you're only doing a heavy set of five on one of those two workouts. Okay. As opposed to both. Yeah. Uh, and then you get more recovery for the heavy set of five for you know, the subsequent workout. When I was powerlifting, I would squat heavy one week, deadlift heavy the next, because they're pretty similar movements, really. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was squatting heavy twice a month. And yeah. you know, people would, would perceive that to be not sufficient. But here's the thing as we go back to bodybuilding. Everything works, nothing works forever. You build up too much fatigue on a particular movement, then it, it, you're going to start overreaching and have a decline in performance or whatever. Yeah. Um, you, know, you definitely want to not just recover, but super compensate and actually build muscle tissue and strength over time. So we'll, we'll do waves, just like, just like Louie and powerlifting. We'll do waves of exercises. So I might pick, let's say, a hack squat. And that'll be my, my blast set. I'll do a warm-up on something, whether it's the aerodyne bike or some leg extensions or whatever. But I'm going to dump everything into hack squat. And that's really probably the only one I'm going to measure. 
Okay. It's the only one that doesn't mean anything. Every, every, like every track, week to week? Tra or? Track, week to week. Everything okay. I do after that, I'm pre-fatigued. So, you know, right. whatever exor major exercise you prioritize in the workout, your performance is going to be best on that, and everything else is going to be, which is why we kind of like going from the blast exercise to a pump. Because I'm not really counting. I'm, I'm, I'm just mostly thinking about muscle, muscle, getting as close to muscle failure as I can and, and volumizing as much as I can. Right. So now I'll jump on that hack squat. And I'll progress it week, 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 week. Uh, maybe I start out two sets of eight reps with five plates on the side. And then uh, the next week I, I do a set of eight reps with five plates on the side. And then I do a set of eight reps. I add a sixth plate to one side, I'm, you know, or whatever, yeah, quarter yeah. each, whatever you want to do. And if I can't get the eighth rep, then next week I'll come back and try and do that again. As soon as I can get those two sets, now I'm adding weights maybe to the front end. And where I can just barely get eight reps on the first set. And I know I'm not going to, maybe only six on the second set. Right. I stay there for a while until I get eight and eight. Okay. And then I go up and wait again, either on the second set first before I go, you know, add weight to the first set. But you can see there's some progression yeah. over time. Right. So I get two sets of eight reps and that's my, my blast set. At some state, at point, or depending on what your recoverability is, maybe you do a third set there. But I got to be honest with you, just like, like Dorian's high intensity, you get past two sets. This is what I say for people who do, like you to do four sets of four different exercises for 16 sets like on chest. Yeah. You're saving yourself. There's a lot of junk volume there. And there's diminishing yeah. returns as we mentioned. So I pick two exercises, generally three sets of each. Or if I do a brief warm up, I really dump my, I could build an entire workout around those two sets. Everything else is just kind of volumizing potentially. Uh, I say it's six sets for the day. Yeah. But the real intensity, I might only be able to handle two or three of those. Okay. Uh, before I, you know, have to uh, have to do something that's uh, maybe a little lighter, or, or maybe focused on repetitions and pump. Yeah. Uh, now, as soon as I stop being able to progress that, and, and that's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It might happen in five weeks. Might happen in six weeks. Might happen in seven weeks. I'm going to milk that as long as I can. But as soon as I realize I'm not going anywhere with this, I pick a different exercise, and I wave that one, okay. whether it's a, a leg press or whether it's a. Um, uh, What's that one that everybody hates? The the humbler, pendulum. the pendulum squat. Yep. Yep. Oh my God! Yeah, that that one will that'll yeah. embarrass you. Yeah. Uh, but same thing. You build that one exercise as you. I don't need to. I'll see people write down every set, I'll every just rep. Ask every, you, how do you feel about no. people? Every single every every single thing they do in the gym, they're totally trying to progress. Yeah. Okay. I'm worried about okay. the primary exercise because I'm not pre-fatigued. And am I growing that? And when that, when I drop off on that, I'm picking a new exercise. I'm putting that one to the side. In powerlifting, uh, for instance, I, I know I'm bouncing back and forth, but that's what I did throughout my career. Uh, if I want to progress the deadlift, I can't deadlift every week. You'll crush yourself, and you'll just start getting weaker. And so, uh, much like they did at Westside, I would pick a couple of exercises that would uh, that would carry over to increase my deadlift that were less fatiguing. Right. The box squat. A camber bar, um, good morning. Those would be my two. You still do those. I actually. still do those, yeah. and I'll build those up. And I might only deadlift it once every four or five weeks. If I do it any more often, it's going to be for repetitions, just for the skill okay. component. Right. But I'm even cautious about what skill I'm really developing with a lighter weight because strength is specific. And right. you need to be kind of 85% or north of that to really get the, the, the skill component that you need for powerlifting. Uh, so... I'm not a big fan of 50% loads and, and multiple, multiple repetitions. I'd rather do a cluster sets with an 85% load than, than uh, 
then rep out until I'm uh, near failure on a 50% load. Okay. I, just, I just don't think it's very specific. So right. um, <clears throat> maybe too far off on the powerlifting. But again, I picked a couple of low fatigue movements that I can train every single week right. without draining my CNS or you know just yeah. over fatigue. And CNS <laughs> is an interesting thing. You talk to Dr. Pat Davidson, a PhD exercise phys, and he's like, it's really load. It's really load, which is why it's kind of nice if you can find an exercise like a leg press and put your feet in and down and maximize the knee angle, you're, you're using 60% of what you might be capable of should you have your feet high and wide, right. and it's just the load. It doesn't even matter which muscles are working at that point. It's just the total gross poundage that dictates your level of fatigue, whether you want to call it CNS, whatever. They don't really focus on that necessarily. They just focus on how tired are you and what's your DOMS and can you recover and, and super compensate. And so anywhere I can bring load down, I benefit from a number of ways, less fatigue, less potential injury exposure, uh, which sounds contrary to the guy who grew up as a powerlifter and every, you know, every week I went yeah. to the gym, I just try and max out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's today we're supposed to be smarter than that. Uh, and, and us old timers, you know, we're, we complain because people aren't lifting hard enough, you know, and uh, hard is relative. You know, it doesn't always necessarily mean load. Your body doesn't know load. You know, right. hard is relative. How close to failure are you? Can you find a particular exercise, especially in bodybuilding where you're exposing uh, that muscle and not recruiting three or four muscles to help you do more weight right. that might not necessarily benefit your weaknesses and tire you out. Right, right, yeah. yeah. So then when you, when you mention, you know, like you're gonna track and progress on the first movement yep. for each day and then after that kind of, you know, pump that area up, I think people, including myself, get kind of confused on what junk volume means and what a pump, because to me, I used to think a pump is okay, now I just have to sit in a certain rep range, but most bodybuilders I've talked to is like, you're, it's still intense as shit. It's still close, if not to failure, it's just not as taxing as the first movement. Yep. And I'm also still confused right now. What, what exactly is junk, what defines junk volume? Like, what is that, what does that go under? Well, I think if, it's, if, it's, uh, if the rest periods are too short and it becomes exercise and not training, if it's not measurable and progressible, again, if, if oxygen debt or uh, lactate clearance becomes a limiting factor, it's not necessarily an optimal uh, stimulus for hypertrophy. So okay. that could be junk volume. Um, if uh, the range of motion, um, a lot of people will do deadlifts and not a great exercise for bodybuilding. Pretty limited range of motion, you know, That's and it's hitting muscles that, uh, I mean, other than your spinal erectors, right. uh, and, it's, and it's a high fatigue, you know, low stimulus, low return on investment type of movement. Hard for me to hear because I, you know, I grew up on deadlifts. That was, that was yeah. you know, it's always the man's exercise. Uh, but I never, as a result, I never had big quads, you know, so you right. make sacrifices for that. Uh, never really got big hamstrings off of that either, uh, because the, the stretch wasn't significant, you know, right. glutes and, and spinal erectors and just basically, um, you know, I guess you would call it fatigue, man, fatigue would be kind of the big components for that. Yeah. Do you, do you think on that, on deadlifts while you're at it, a lot of bodybuilding coaches and people on Instagram will say like deadlifts. Not just be, I mean, really the waist. Like, do you think it thickens your core that much? I think a lot of it's genetics. A lot of it is food. 
Okay. Uh, you gotta be cautious how much, uh, you wanna be in a calorie surplus, but you don't want a dirty bulk. Uh, I used to run some pretty high calorie surpluses, you know, 1,000, 1,500 calories a day, too much. And you end up just gaining fat, and I did that. I, you know, back in the early 90s or mid 90s, I got up to over 300 pounds. Uh, I, I got to college, I was 145, 140. About 140 pounds when I got to college as an 18-year-old freshman uh, in 1985. And by 1995, I was over 300 pounds. Um, so uh, I, I just overate. I, I remember was, you. I was drinking ice cream shakes. Yeah, and milk. And, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. putting extra slices of cheese on these Totino's pizzas every night, right, right before bed, just yep. stuffing myself in whole milk, and, you know, the go mad type of thing. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, one more thing on junk volume, just to circle back. Uh, I had one more thought, and that was, here's a perfect example. You go to the incline dumbbell press, and you do the uh, 60s for 10 reps, and then you do the 70s for 10 reps, then you do the 80s for 10 reps, and then you grab the, the 100s, and you do you know, a really hard set of eight. You did one set. Right. Those other three were junk volume. Okay. You might as well grab the 60s, and, and you might as well grab a band, you know, That's interesting. and then a... And then a uh, one of these slam balls against the wall, you know, because yeah. I, that's, that's another component here I didn't talk about, but speed is important to maintain. And at, at your age, it's fine, but as, as I got older, I found I wasn't as explosive and because I'm not doing fast-paced movements. And so you, you got to try and incorporate some speed uh, into that. Just, just firing the nervous system. Um, it could be something as simple as a box squat or a depth jump with a, a rebound or a, uh, grabbing the dumbbells and jumping up in the air or using an aerodyne bike. Just something where you're going, you know, like a hit. Uh, obviously, I love the overspeed treadmill in terms of uh, training the nervous system to fire faster. Uh, that's what we incorporated in John Jones's training down in New Mexico. We took an overspeed yeah. treadmill down there and had him run on it. it it just puts you in a position where your nervous system knows, hey, I got to go and I got to go fast. The band work. You know, yeah. going off a box and then boom, you know, with those bands, the, the slower you move, the harder they are. Yeah. It, it, it self-teaches you to explode. So the speed component's important. Uh, but, you know, the big thing is, is that once you get kind of warmed up, meaning elevated body temperature and, uh, uh, and kind of worked through a range of motion, maybe a little, um, uh, maybe you're breathing a little heavy, grab the 60s for two, three. Grab the 80s and do three. Now yeah. grab the hunters, see what happens. Yeah, you know. And Dorian talked about that even on subsequent sets. He wouldn't do a whole, you know, a lot of people have that whole thing where they're gonna do four sets of whatever with a progressing the weight. Yeah, pyramid. Yeah, pyramiding. Yeah, pyramiding. Yeah. Uh, I don't do a lot of that. On the second set, I can grab about 50, 60 percent of the load, do it for a double, and then I'm going balls it. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm putting yeah. whatever I can do from the max reps that I'm trying to hit that day, whether it's fives or twelves. Or... Oh, wow. Okay, that makes me feel better because yeah. that's what, behind the camera why it films, uh, that's what we, me and Mark pretty much do that too. I, I never saw a point in like, you know, gra if I'm going to do the 150s for incline dumbbell and I do 20 on with the hundreds, I'm like, I, I probably could get a couple extra reps if I just did, like you said, a couple reps with the hundreds and yeah. then work into that so and as far as a warm-up that's interesting too because there's different people I've talked to so you think just what was it getting the heart just just moving you want to get I your guess? heart like rate up not, there's and not you want to get your body temperature up okay and okay. you can do that on an aerodyne bike I mean it doesn't matter uh, and then some people have particular you know who was it the uh, 
they'll have like a pain somewhere, whether it's a shoulder or an elbow, and they might need to do something with a band just to kind of desensitize. It's kind of distraction therapy is what we refer to it as. Is okay. If you can just get your brain to stop thinking about the, uh, and that will allow you to invest more into that because you're not just thinking ow, 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 ow the whole time. So yeah, maybe you got a foam roll or something, uh, you know, just to get rid of a specific, um, something where the mind says, hey, I, 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 I don't want you to be cautious about a particular joint or, uh, you know, a certain right. feeling. Uh, and some of that's picking the right exercise. Some of that's getting warmed up. But there's no prescription for warm-up other than, uh, like, you can warm up just getting onto the bar, doing the bar for deadlifting. You don't have to go through a whole 20-minute, you know, preamble. Okay. Uh, okay. There's no... It's very personal, and it's not prescribable to other people, and it's no better than any other warm-up, is what I'm trying to say. Oh, that makes sense, uh, yeah. and, and that's just generally, just general movement, but most folks would probably, and I guess the point of that is, is some people will maybe even pre-exhaust themselves yeah. with these elaborate warm-up programs. Certainly, I'm not a fan of static stretching before a strength uh, movement because it can actually decrease performance. It hasn't shown to prevent injuries. It hasn't shown to improve recovery. Uh, it's not to say that you shouldn't stretch if you like stretching. It's just to say it, it don't assign attributes to it that aren't uh, provable uh, uh, and, and try and make it seem that it's necessary for everyone right. or that it's going to improve your performance or recovery because it doesn't. There's no research to suggest that it does. So I just grab the bar. Um, now I love the Aerodyne bike because it warms everything up through a reasonable range of motion. It gets the speed component. Yeah. Uh, you know, it gets blood into the areas so that you get, so the movement seems fluid. Yeah. Uh, and then you can just generally get under a, a squat bar, a deadlift, or a hack squat and, and just use the rack and then throw one plate on. But again, I'm not doing one plate for 12 reps, two plates for 12 reps, three plates for 12 reps. I'm doing one plate for one rep. Right. Nice and slow. That's something to consider is the, the pace yeah. of the movement can dictate how your tendons feel as well. Right. Your tendons are, are like shock absorbers and they respond to speed. And sometimes if your tendons are hurting you a little bit like your knees, just slow everything way down. Yeah. Maybe you got a shortened range of motion a little. Just slow everything way down and pause before you contract. That can go a long way to allowing you to get up to your top weight uh, in the absence of, of that stretch reflex of, the, of bending and, and rebounding that rubber band, you know, yeah. that's going to cause some of those little micro tears and potentially tendonitis. Yeah, I think that'll help a lot of people get more out of the top set you were talking about that actually the one you're trying to progress on and track because the argument I see a lot of different dudes make is like oh you need to do you need to pyramid up to that top set with enough uh, volume or reps because it's it, it'll you won't get injured or you, your risk yeah. for injury is I think it's a perfect example of junk volume in most cases you know awesome, yeah. and the hard part is is that a lot of these you know newbies are going to respond to anything Right. I just want them to get in here, you know, yeah. just lift something yeah. and, and, and hopefully something hard. But uh, as you get more and more experienced, you're just not going to respond to that stimulus anymore. It's not sufficient. Okay. So the, like the warmups you just listed, like the bike, you know, maybe some med ball stuff. Is that something you've always done, like from in powerlifting and your bodybuilding career? Or is that something you came across more recently? Later in my career, as I realized as my speed started to slow down, I wasn't as, as, as fast. But one of the things that helped with my speed, uh, I moved weight pretty fast for powerlifting. Uh, and then of course, Mark had me using uh, bands. Was a, a, that was probably one of the biggest things that helped with my speed. 
and I got to say this, and I run a kid's power hour for uh, my gym, Sin City Iron, in, in Las Vegas. And I've got little six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, and we always start with something that's explosive. It'll be a box jump or, like I said, a depth jump for rebounds or something like that. Um, there's something to be said for how your muscle fiber types uh, develop from a very young age. And when I was a kid, I snow skied, and we would, we would jump and land. I used to jump off of roofs, but I weighed 100 pounds. You know, I wrestled 98 pounds in high school, so I could jump off of things. But it's the landing component, that speed component, uh, and then wrestling and playing sports and sprinting, all those things are really important. Things we can't necessarily do when we get to, to be bigger. Right. Sprinting, uh, a lot of people, I, I love what I, I see this all the time as somebody starts to prep for a bodybuilding show. And their coach is like, yeah, go, go run track. Invariably, they get injured. Those yeah. muscles are not used to the speed component. And once you get past, say, 15 yards, everything is an eccentric, decelerating braking force. So the fatigue uh, that comes with that is, is significant. You end up with DOMS, largely because it's a, a novel stimulus for most bodybuilders to, you know, to go out and start sprinting. That's so why I like the overspeed treadmill. You don't get the braking force, the eccentric deceleration force. Uh, you just run as fast as the treadmill goes and then you jump off. So, uh, that's why I'm cautious about, uh, I like box jumps because you jump up, but you aren't landing. There was, uh, now I'm trying to remember his name. I was just down at uh, Sorenex talking to uh, Krauser, uh, holds a world record in, in shot put. Uh, and uh, he's six, seven, three hundred and some pounds. But there was some videos that have circulated for many years about, I think it was the Germans uh, doing plyometrics, and they would do a lot of these bounding movements. Uh, I remember at the high school I sent my son to, uh, they were having, and he, my son was 300 pounds, uh, and he was jumping over hurdles on concrete, and he'd come home, my knees hurt. You know, it's not the jumping, it's the landing is the point. And Krauser told me that he, uh, when he does his plyos, he'll land on a big mattress because he's interested in the concentric portion, but he doesn't want to accumulate a whole lot of fatigue uh, when he lands, the eccentric portion. And a lot of those German athletes um, ended up ultimately, over time, accumulating enough fatigue that they got injured. Uh, right. Because you're really cautious as we get bigger and heavier and we're moving loads, we've got to be cautious with speed, we've got to be cautious with... Um, those eccentric landing um, forces. Uh, a lot of the stuff I think about more now that I'm older and, uh, and, and I'm more susceptible to injury. Uh, you can run those athletes pretty hard at a younger age, but it accumulates and they end up having a shorter career. Okay. And so that's what we're cautious of. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I got more of a selfish uh, question here because I, I see, I've seen your physique on the stage at, I mean, obviously right now, I've seen you a couple times. But I have, this is this, I, I'm not too educated on this. I don't know what exactly I'm trying to explain, but looking at your legs and everything, like I feel like I have, I have, I've always had really small ankles, okay? I, it's always been a struggle for me to build this area of the quad around the knee and obviously high insertions. Up here is good, down here has always been like such a struggle to connect with and keep tension. And what I was telling Mark um, a or last week or a couple days ago is that I find, I don't know if it has to do with the muscle fiber, like you talked about slow twitch, fast twitch, but it almost feels like when I do a heavy set of five, 
like for almost like powerlifting style. Um, I, I carry more fullness in my legs. My legs feel fuller, they feel like they grow more. But when I do the super, super high volume, it feels like it's just like you said, like just extra, I feel like I'm just almost if I were to do sprints. So I'm like, what? That, that is so weird to me. Cause I'm like, I, if I do fives, I'm not, I don't know if I'm doing enough, but if I do, you know, sets of 25 for everything, or even if I go to failure and it ends up being 20 something reps, it just, it just feels like, I'm just like going on a jog. It's, yes. This is for my lower body only upper body. I'm able, able to, uh, carry like fullness throughout the week. I could really try my upper body however I want. And I don't have the same issue, but I don't know. I just, I don't know if you remember we said the length and quad position can actually give you more hypertrophy in the end ranges right down here yeah. as opposed to uh, a partial range of motion we might give you the hypertrophy uh, in the center part of the muscle and so that's what you want to focus on how do i get a lengthened position uh, a lot of times it's 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 due to lack of knee over toe uh, and, and that's ankle flexibility or calf flexibility so now let's elevate our heel and so i'll use an angle plate and maybe a Smith bar because that eliminates the whole balance component. And I like to hold on to something in front of me. And now okay. I'm squatting up and down. And I also don't like assisting myself. And so I try and be cautious how much help I'm giving myself because I don't know when my legs are failing and when it becomes a, a combination. What's that? The Hatfield squat? You yeah, know, yeah. It's kind of a combination squat, tricep, push yeah. down kind of exercise. And generally speaking, as the thing gets heavier and heavier, you end up throwing your hips back, yeah. you know, and then your ass gets involved. I'm not interested in all that, which is kind of why I like a hack squat or a leg press because it positions you in such a way that you can't cheat the movement. But I get a lot of... Uh, if you set it up correctly, um, uh, with an SSB bar, uh, kind of a high bar position, or a, a kabuki bar with the weights forward into a front squat type position, okay. and then elevate the heels onto an angle plate. And then I like to hold on to something in front of me. That's interesting. And sometimes if I can find the right position, I like for my hands to be able to slide up and down rather than pulling on that thing. Because when you pull on that thing, you pull your back forward and your ass out. I'd rather slide straight up and down to where I don't get any help. Now I know it's just the quads doing the movement, but you'll get more knee over toe. You'll feel a lot more right here. Sandwich down in the bottom. Okay. Slow it down. Don't bounce out of the hole. That's your tendon taking over. Just like your Achilles tendon for, for basketball, when your tendon uh, helps you do the movement, then now you aren't getting the maximum benefit, especially in the end range for the quad. Right. Slow it down, pause. You've seen... Um, you know, Charlton Banks and, and the, yeah. the oh, yeah. team Rompo. Yeah, Jared Feather. Jared Feather. Watch those guys go down slowly, stop. Same way Flex had me do it in 09. Same way Lee Haney taught Flex. If you watch these really old videos, they used to have, I forget the name of them, but they had those uh, on ESPN. Uh, I think it was Boyer Co. Or, and they wear those funny striped uh, spandex, uh, yeah. you know, hot skins yeah. uh, and Flex and, and, um, and Sean Ray and Boyer oh, Co. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I saw Lee Haney, you know, back in probably 1990 or something about that, Lee Haney would say, don't, don't bounce out of the hole. You know, go down slowly, stop, press out of the hole. When you can, when you can discipline yourself to do that, it's hard to do because it's an ego killer because right. your weights go down. Yeah. But what I find is, is that the weights will go back up over, gradually over time. And then what you do is, is, just the other day I was doing hack squat and I had a, I had a cadence of about a three second eccentric that I was trying to maintain. 
And I realized on the last rep, I wasn't going to be able to, to do the rep if I did a three-second eccentric. So I tried to bounce out of the hole. Yeah. Those are little, you know, concessions that you, you offer yourself yeah. to get through yeah. a workout. But yeah. for the most part, you want to measure, like you said, you want to measure a good rep. And what, how do we define that? You know, is that some sort of form or is that, uh, and not that a two-second or a five-second eccentric is any different to be honest in terms of, of hypertrophy response but if you're not consistent how are you able to measurably and progressively uh, advance that if right. you know you're doing fives and all of a sudden you go to twos yeah did you get stronger or did you you just have less time under tension you know so be consistent is what is most important there slow okay. it down go down Whatever count you decide you're going to go down at, anywhere from two to five seconds is pretty equivocal. There's absolutely no need or benefit to do 10 or 20 second eccentrics. Uh, you know, um, no research to suggest that's, that's better. Um, but pause in the hole and press out of the hole, thinking okay. about the mind-muscle connection, which is why we like to generally do a, like a little, I hate to call it a pre-exhaust, but a mind-muscle connection, single leg-leg extensions to start or... Something where you know you've got a little blood in your knee and you can feel the contraction. Right, okay, yeah. That and you sense. have to pick the exercise. I just gave an example of one that works for me. No, yeah, because I was going to say, I, <laughs> the, you know, my adductors, everything, my, I, same with you, like when I would squat for powerlifting, I'd be able to squat a decent amount, but it all, it'd, be, it'd be lower back and my hips, yeah. my glutes. Now, and, Flex made me do good girls, bad girls at the end of every leg day. Yeah. You know, don't, so you, don't sleep on adductors. Uh, you're not going to get a whole lot of muscle out here necessarily, uh, you know, but the adductors, absolutely. But you're going to get a lot of adductor in squats too. Yeah. Uh, so that can be a foundation of a program. You right. know, Dorian hurt himself. He got really strong. And uh, guys like Jake Cutler, you know, they stopped doing squats. But you got to remember, these guys were, damn, Jake Cutler was 250, teen national champion. He was 18 years old. Yeah. You know, so he didn't need squats. Right. I would say that, that some guys... <laughs> You know, they're so under-muscled that that might be a good idea to do multi-joint movements first, see what develops, Right. you know, get yourself used to load. Um, not suggesting that, that squats are the best for everyone long-term, but initially, I mean, uh, it, it's, I think it's a great way to, to stimulate the most muscle right. in the yeah. shortest period of time and then go eat. Yeah, and you talked about, you mentioned, I'm catching you on a bunch of stuff you're saying because I questions pop into my head like pre-fatigue you're not too big of a fan because because nah. i'm not i'm guilty of it that's exercise Mark. again that that's muscular endurance you know that's 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 uh cardio being a limiting factor i'm really cautious about what limits me from being able to do more okay. and is it is it is it mechanical load which is the primary driver of hypertrophy right uh or is it something else is it oxygen is it my lack of my inability to clear lactate okay uh, you know and you just get fatigued and so so if i were to start with something like if i were to do let's say like pec deck flies like a couple good sets before i go into my dumbbell pressing that'd probably take away from my top set more than just warm me up it depends on the intensity of it you know and okay uh, for strength yeah i don't like a pump what about what about if you lack like connecting with that muscle does it have a place there or should you 100 percent Okay. Now I mentioned, get three guys, the bench press, one develops front delts, one develops pecs, one develops triceps. Now if the guy who has the least pec development finds an exercise, whether it be a pec deck or it's a, a dumbbell or it's a, it's a, a cable 
lift like this, you know, to, with your fingers right here to try and feel the movement. You know, when you're trying to learn to bounce your pecs and you, you don't know how to do it, you're like, but if you put a hand here and you have that, you know, that ability to, to the, and then eventually you can do it without the hand, that's a mind-muscle connection. That's a contraction that you can, so same thing here. Find something where you can uh, get a little blood pump in there, get a mind-muscle connection so that when you get on the exercise that you're trying to develop the pecs with, and then you got to take the, the muscles that are, that are, uh, that are developing more kind of out of the movement. You see me do a 200 pound incline dumbbell press, yeah. right? Yeah. It's a circus sideshow, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. And I, I had these big front delts and, and I would, I would take them and I would tilt them this way and they would hit my chest right about here because those things are this fucking long. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what's my range of motion look like right there? Not very good. Right. As opposed to this range of motion. Yeah. That's where I want to be. I never used more than a hundred pound dumbbell training with Flex Wheeler. My pecs got bigger and fuller than they had ever been in the past. I didn't touch a 200 pound dumbbell. He slowed me down a little bit. He made me bring my sternum up, my shoulders back. And every time I tried to do this, I'd get a whack upside the head or something. <laughs> you know, it, does the set end or does, do you just? Well, you're pretty much done. Right, right. Yeah, if you can't do a good rep, remember you yeah, said yeah. a good. What's a good rep? How do you yeah. define that? And that's the one that's utilizing the muscle that you're trying to, to progress, as opposed to incorporating other muscles into the movement by, right. you know. And for me, I would always bring my shoulders in to try and take over for the movement. And so he would make me, and then he would, you know, sometimes you'll with your training partner you'll touch yeah. the spot they're trying to train. That really helps you kind of concentrate on the movement. But the point being, the hundred pound dumbbells grew me better than the two hundred pound dumbbells. That's because crazy. I was actually working the chest through a full range of motion, very deep elbow, full stretch, not touching here with the dumbbell, but bringing it way down here. Just, you know, one example of any type of exercise in the gym to which you can get through a greater range of motion and try not to recruit other muscles to do the work for you other than the one that you're trying to train. So a little, right. a little I don't know if you call it, Let's just call it mind-muscle connection yeah. rather than pre-exhaust. Okay. okay. We call it a little mind-muscle connection. You do get a little pump in there. So when you go to your major exercise, now that's what you're feeling the whole time. And it does help, again, have somebody. So those, those I guess, yeah, mind-muscle connection sets, those should just be that. It shouldn't be taken to failure or close to before the top set. It should just be so you get some blood in there and feel it. The rest period would, would matter. Okay. I mean, okay. if you could, you could do a bunch of reps and and to where you got a, a nice blood pump, but then you'd want to wait long enough, two, three minutes, right? Yeah. To where when you got on the next exercise, you could lift a significant load, again, mechanical tension being one of the primary drivers, where you could lift a significant load for whatever measurable repetitions that, that, that you need to, and then progress that over time. Yeah. You know, I could make you weaker on any movement in here by pre-exhausting your muscle, and that doesn't right. necessarily give you the best hypertrophy benefit. Right. You know, you could get a lot of DOMS from going out and jogging five miles. It's not going to build your legs. Right. So, you know, we're not looking at pain as being, you know, how sore are you? Does not, it's not a driver. It's a passenger right. that, that occurs simply because you, you, you trained correctly. Yeah. Sufficient load through a sufficient range of motion with a sufficient amount of intensity. Okay. Right. Within okay. A, a rep or two of failure. Yeah. So when you say the hundred dumbbell, the hundred pound dumbbells helped you more than the two hundred, that goes against a lot of what you know people are doing now, where everything's about if you get stronger, you're going to get you're you're going to get bigger. So that that brings a lot of questions. Well, it depends. To What's me, the range of motion? What's the did I bounce the thing or did I bring it down and 
and, and pause it. You know, if I'm bouncing the thing, how much how much tendon help am I getting? The stretch reflex, right? Uh, right. So is the muscle doing the work, or is right. you so know, then something how else you, helping you? So if you didn't go past that, I'm just curious. Like, how did you? How were you measuring? Pro was it just you were incre Were you getting? Were you increasing the reps every time? Like, if you did 20 on week one, I generally is like to increase go? load. Uh, like I said, on the hack squat or any exercise, if I set up two sets of eight, I'll try and increase load, but then that'll take me down to an eight and a six. Okay. Or it might even take me down to a seven and a six. And then I'll, next time I'll come back and I'll try again. Maybe I get an eight and a seven. Next time I back and try again, maybe I get an eight and an eight. Next time I come back, I'm adding weight so I can get a seven and a six again. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm generally trying to add load more than reps because once I, eventually I'm, my reps, uh, will push me into the 20s and I don't necessarily want to be there. Okay. Flex had me do a decent amount of 20s with him, particularly on legs. Um, and, and that, at least the last six weeks before the show, I think that had a considerable effect on my conditioning. Um, right. I was, I mean, I was basically hyperventilating during the workouts. Uh, but I would wake up the next morning and I, would, I, I could see a physical difference in terms of my leanness. Yeah. So as opposed to cardio, he just picked up my volume and intensity in the gym. So I was continuing to get what I would call the, the right stimulus, the hypertrophy stimulus. Because cardio for me always thinned me out. The guy with smaller legs starts doing a ton of treadmill yeah. and, and those things start to... I started to lose mass. Now guys who, who carry more body fat, who have muscle to lose, maybe they gotta do more cardio. Right. Um, I, I tried to lose fat in the kitchen, most primarily, and then I tried to provide my body only with the stimulus, hypertrophy lifting. I do this even with women that I train. I'd rather have them do, like Nadia Wyatt, who took the third yeah. in Miss Olympia. Yep. Um, she didn't do any cardio. She did That's three 10 minute walks, one after each meal, uh, we, we controlled calories for, for fat loss, but we did two a day hypertrophy sessions. She'd come in the morning, do quads, come back at night and do hamstrings. That was, you yeah. know, and that was another way that I could reduce fatigue. If I tried to do hamstrings after quads in the morning and those quad workouts were pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, I just wouldn't, again, you save yourself. I wouldn't have had the same level of intensity. So we come back at night, you can get an amazing hamstring workout in 25 minutes. I'm not talking about two one hour workouts. I'm talking 40 in the morning, 20, 25 at night. I'm not actually adding any additional volume or adding any additional time in the gym necessarily, uh, but I'm able to put so much more intensity into each workout. And once you start getting past, say, an hour of training or so, now you're, what I say, digging ditches instead of building mountains. Now you're, you're right. accumulating fatigue that is gonna take you longer to recover from. If you can get in and out, in a, you know, a reasonable amount of time, uh, then you can recover from that faster than right. if you do, say, these two-hour workouts. Yeah, no, that makes, that's interesting, because a lot of people, I don't hear too many people talk about two-a-day training session. Mike Isretel, you, I know uh, Mila, I don't know if you know who Milos is. Of course, yeah, Milos, Milos Sarkov, yeah. Legend. We throw a lot, we can throw a lot more carbs at that kind of training that's as well. That's what I was gonna ask, Because yeah. you've, you, you're, you have, two windows of opportunity under which you're stimulating muscle to draw glycogen or glucose from the bloodstream without the need of insulin. Uh, so right. you have a lot of opportunity to both burn and store uh, carbs. And so you can, we, we were doing 800 grams of carbs a day on a program Ooh. like that. 
Yeah, that's insane. So then, okay, okay. That would be my that would be my preference if you for, had the time. Is that for a deficit, or can I do it? Like, is that something I should maybe try in my? Off I would season? do either. Okay. Even in a deficit, I would train. Maybe even more so in a deficit. What you find in a deficit is that you lose your endurance first, right? Yeah, yeah. But you don't want to lose your intensity. So maybe you got to cut back on volume. Okay. Because once you start lightening the loads, you're going to lose muscle. But if you can keep your intensity and, and hopefully as much strength as possible, I want to lose as little strength as possible going into a show. Everybody's talking about Ronnie's, you know, oh, he lifted those weights wait, six weeks before the Olympia. That's when he was his strongest. Yeah. If he had ever lifted any heavier weight than that six months or eight months before the Olympia, he'd have shown those videos. Yeah. He was his strongest six weeks before the Olympia. Right. You know, probably had a, a, the, the largest cycle. Yeah. Uh, but that, that's the point. You want to maintain strength as long as you can going into uh, a show because that is a, a pretty good measure. That's what we do with Nadia as well. So it's a, I don't want you to lose any strength. Now, does that mean you have to go from six sets to four? I'd rather you do that. Okay. Than to do six sets of the lighter weight, I'd rather you do four sets of the heavier weight. Okay, that's interesting. To me, that's yeah. the stimulus that matters. Yeah. Mechanical okay. tension, intensity uh, are more important than volume. Okay, okay. Before I ask you a couple questions on that Olympia competitor you were, you, you coach, um, I just wanted to ask about the, con the concentric portion of movements because I hear Milos too, I listen to a lot of podcasts with him, and he talked about, you know, training people like Regan Grimes, and he sometimes is huge on Ecent down and up, being super slow and controlled, but then, you know, other people like Mike Isertel are more so like just the eccentric and the transition of the weight, and then explode. John Meadows was like that too. He was kind of, some movements especially, he would super fast up, and as long as you control the eccentric, you're good. That's perfect, perfect explanation. That's what the research suggests as well. Okay. I said under, um, what do we call that, pace, two to five seconds. As long as it's under control, as long as you're not completely relaxing, right. as long as you're controlling it, one, two, or one, two, three, I don't think anywhere in two to five seconds is any different okay. uh, because the intensity is going to be the driver of that. And if you do one more rep because you move the weight a little bit faster so you have less time under tension, uh, pretty equivocal. And then on the way up, though, should it still be explosive always? Yeah, because eventually that speed's going to slow down as you get, right. you know, the closer you get to to momentary failure, then you've got maximal muscle fiber recruitment, and then you notice that some of those muscle fibers start to drop off. Right. And that's when you go from this to this. You know, once the speed slows down, you're pretty good idea you've gotten maximal muscle fiber recruitment. Yeah. Okay, okay, sweet, thank you. Yeah. And then going into the diet, vertical diet, um, I've tried it multiple times. I did it all through high school still eat monster mash on my plan I'm on today and um, I just think it's interesting how I, I don't want to say you go against everything a typical meathead bodybuilding coach does but you know I know you're not a huge fan of like egg whites or just plain chicken and stuff like that things that are more nutrient dense so red meats whole eggs um, even things like like everything basically everything on your on your plan has a purpose and you can you can explain why it's going to do this, this, or that. 
that's why I'm, I'm super interested in it. So I guess it's like, even when you're coaching an Olympia competitor, is it, there's no, like, do you ever have them eat like typical bodybuilding foods like chicken or egg whites, or do you stick to the same principles, just manipulate the mm -hmm. calories? Calories are king. Macros, I want to get about a gram of protein per pound of body weight. Uh, generally speaking, you want to have sufficient fats so that you're not compromising hormones, sleep, um, or vitamin, uh, or fat-soluble vitamin absorption. I would say that's at a minimum 15% of total calories. So I usually start at 30% of total calories or thereabouts. 25% of total calories is fats. The rest are carbs. Those fuel performance. They're very important for that dynamic, uh, you know, that, that, that lifting right. uh, stimulus, okay? I'll reduce fats and keep the carbs in because, again, the carbs fueling performance and performance being the primary driver of, of lean mass retention or gain. There's good evidence that you can gain muscle in a, in right. a, in a cut. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're sufficiently fueled and if, you know, slept, trained uh, adequately with enough intensity, you can actually gain muscle in a calorie deficit, even as an experienced lifter, even if it's modest, particularly if there's performance enhancing drugs involved. It's not a time to sleep on, on the potential to gain muscle. And so that's why we've learned long ago, you don't come in and start doing cable crossovers for sets of 20 with light weights to rip up. Yeah. We, we, that was pretty obvious. Uh, calories are king. Macros, I just talked you through what the macros are. Now we get into micronutrients. And if you over-restrict things like egg whites, tilapia, and broccoli with a scoop of peanut butter, which is, I just gave you the pretty typical guru yeah. bikini girl diet. Yeah. Um, then we see a whole host of things happening. At a time at which your body is demanding, you're, you're, you're demanding so much of your body. You're utilizing so many more micronutrients than say uh, even, even a, a sedentary person. Uh, you have a much higher demand. Uh, particularly for women, iron, of course, is, is a, a very commonly a deficiency. That's why the red meat's in there. Uh, now you can get, like with Nadia, we started at New York steak, and then we went to a top sirloin, and then we went to a, uh, you know, a grass-fed sirloin tip, and those are just leaner and leaner meats. Eventually you get to a Piedmontese beef, you know, that's, that's yep. got less than two grams of fat in it. Right. Uh, but it has all the iron, and it has the creatine, and the carnitine, and the zinc, and the, the B12, and to a much greater degree as a percentage than, say, a chicken breast. Um, so even, even equating for calories, now I'm getting a more micronutrient dense product. If you want to take a, uh, a multivitamin, take a multivitamin, but there's something to be said for, um, the constitution of food, uh, and these cofactors, the way they work together that, that aid in absorption and prevent, uh, deficiencies and surpluses that, that might otherwise, you know, like when you supplement vitamin E and, and vitamin A, we found that, uh, you know, it was actually... Um, uh, counterproductive. And so I like to get them from foods, um, especially with women, you keep the yolk in there because it's got the biotin, that's for skin, hair, and nails. And the, the choline is great for the liver. Uh, now I might decrease the total fat load by doing an egg, egg, white blend, but I would never completely take the yolk out because okay. it's, it's value in terms of micronutrients. Um, potassium is another huge one for energy. For, uh, and so I would stick with, you know, the potato as twice the potassium of a banana. Fruit, um, 
a lot of these guru diet coaches will tell women to take fruit out. They'll tell them to take red meat out. They'll tell yeah. them to take dairy out. Um, where are they getting their thousand milligrams of calcium from? You know, and this is a woman who's training for a show in a significant calorie deficit. And one of the things we know in particular about women is they often suffer from the female triad. And one of those things is, is osteoporosis, uh, along with, uh, you know, amenorrhea, cessation of the menstrual period, um, and uh, iron deficiency, and, and oftentimes now a suppression of, of thyroid function, which is very common with weight loss anyhow. Um, uh, and so you're going to need to get sufficient sleep. Iodine, you know, yeah. another micronutrient that I purposely put in there, either whether it's iodized salt. I know people, yeah, they love to talk about the, the micronutrients in, in pink salt, but you'd need to consume a hell of a lot of pink salt to get any meaningful micronutrient value from that that you could get in spades from all the foods that I just mentioned. That's not the source that you'd go to. Um, I put in cranberry juice just because it's very rich in, uh, in iodine. Uh, but if calories become a concern at some point, then back to iodized salt, stimulate the thyroid. Now we don't got, uh, you know, hair falling out, uh, which yeah. is very common in these pre-contest diets. So, yeah, I'm pretty specific about what I recommend, and then the rest of it's really digestion. I, I, I have steered towards introducing people towards uh, a low FODMAP menu so they can see which foods cause them, uh, or might be less likely to cause them bloating. It's not a prescription for everyone, but for those people with IBS, it's very individualistic. Uh, it's just my experience that whether bulking or, or in a significant calorie deficit pre-contest that, that lots of, of high FODMAP foods can cause a significant amount of distension and, and uh, gastric distress and bloating and that kind of thing. And so those are you know, short-term interventions to accomplish a particular goal. Right. Um, but generally speaking, uh, you know, I, I don't like to demonize any, any foods in particular. Okay. Awesome. We good? Yeah. All right. Take us out. Yeah. <sighs> All right. That's enough anabolic activities for today. I hope you guys liked this video. Very grateful to be able to sit down and talk to this legend right here, Stan Efforting. Um, hit us with a like, drop a comment, let us know what you think, and we'll get in there and reply. Anabolic activities on Instagram and YouTube. Stan Efforting on... Always Stan Efforting. StanEfferting.com, at Stan Efferting, Stan Efferting on YouTube, everything Stan Efferting. All right, sweet. Thank you. Make sure to check out the video. It's going to be right here. Check it out. Let us know what you think. Leave a comment. Leave a like. We'll be in the comments as well. So stay jacked. And... Click this video right here, please, 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 please.